The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In today's message, we conclude the fifth sermon in our series on the book of Haggai. Rather than jumping right into the second part of this sermon, we've gone back and picked up a few minutes of yesterday's sermon in order to give a little context. You may recall that Haggai is giving them a message of encouragement from God because almost immediately after they restarted the work of building the temple, they began to face opposition. And isn't that always the way it is? Whenever we're trying to do the work of God, opposition just seems to arise immediately. In this case, they faced opposition from without, but they also faced opposition from within. Child of God, it's been my experience that the worst kind of opposition is that opposition that arises from within the kingdom of God. It seems like churches can resist the assaults of Satan that come in from the outside, but oh, how much damage opposition from inside the church can cause. In this case, when these little children of God began to focus upon rebuilding the temple, both kinds of opposition arose, but I believe the most damaging and discouraging kind was the opposition that arose from within their ranks, and these faithful little children of God became discouraged once again. But God sent just the right message through his prophet Haggai to encourage them in the work of the kingdom of God. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
But going back over here to Haggai, you remember what we said? We're only one month into the project. And God is already having to send them a message of encouragement. You're going to see if you continue reading there in chapter 5 and chapter 6 that, that they successfully opposed the, the assaults from outside the kingdom of God. But there were some problems and discouragement that arose from inside. That I, and I'll tell you, based on my experience in reading this, but not just reading this, my experience in the kingdom of God, the, the, the problems and discouragement from inside threaten more than those attacks from the outside. Notice, as you begin reading there, it said, In the seventh month, back in Haggai chapter 2, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai. He said, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Now listen, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? If you go back over there and finish reading the story of the second effort to rebuild the temple and the opposition from outside, you'll see that it was so easily defeated. By the way, teaching us a lesson that if they had just pushed the envelope 15 years earlier instead of just giving up, they could have had that temple built already. All that had to happen was that the, when the letter writing campaign started, they wrote a letter and they asked Darius the king to search the records and he did and he found where Cyrus had said for them to go back and build the temple and so he sent a commandment to those enemies of God and enemies of his kingdom and said not only are they allowed to rebuild it, you're going to help them. <laughs> Anything you've got that would help them, you've got to give it to them. The wood, whatever it is, you, you give them safe passage. They successfully... Uh, defeated that opposition but notice what has happened from within the kingdom of God opposition has arisen in the form of discouragement they are comparing this temple with the first temple and I'm sorry this temple is much less glorious than the temple of Solomon you may recall back over in Ezra when they first laid the foundations of the temple. And you know, I got to say, I suspect this is one of the reasons it was so easy to get them to stop building it. In the third chapter, in about the 12th verse, we're told that some of the ancient men who had been children when they were taken captive, who had seen the original temple of Solomon, and they had been gone for 70 years into captivity, and now they go back and they lay the foundation of the new temple, you know what happened? They said, wait a minute, this is nothing compared to Solomon's temple. Now, now think about this for a minute. Think about this. They were probably little boys, maybe 10 or 12, maybe 15 years old. You know, Daniel was probably, we said Sunday, Daniel was probably 15 or 20 years old, between 15 and 20. And he was still alive when Cyrus gave the command to go back. Daniel didn't go back, I don't think, but... Many did. They might have been in their 80s. Can you imagine their memories? I don't know about you, Brother Mackey, but I'm 54. I know you're, you and Sister Lorraine are in your mid-80s. My memory's not quite as good as it used to be. Uh, there are things I think I remember well that turn out not to be so good. In fact, there are things I should remember that I don't. But anyway, um, memory will play tricks on you. Seventy years later, they come back. And you know what they're thinking. I can't wait till we build this temple. I remember what Solomon's temple was like. 
I remember the glory of it. I remember how big it was. And probably in their minds, they'd blown it up way out of proportion. But whatever it was, when they saw what they were about to build, they were disappointed. And they began to weep, some of them. And, and, and here we see that God is acknowledging through Haggai that some of them see this temple in comparison to the old temple of Solomon as nothing, nothing. Now, whether their memory was correct or not, we know that this temple wasn't as glorious as the temple of Solomon. But here identifies a problem that the church can get into. Now, now I know we, we don't, we have a, we're in a unique position, okay? But, but the, the longer we stay here, the more likely it is we'll do this. Now, most of us that are members of this church don't really have any good old days to look back to here at this church. We've only been here 10 years. But the longer we live, if we live to be 80 or 90 or 100 years old, there may be time, a time in the future when, when we've been here for uh, a long period of our lives and, and we, we may be tempted to look back to the good old days. Now, there's no problem with going back and looking back to the good old days, looking back to your history to get encouragement about what God has done. But these men were living in the past. They were going back to those good old days. They were saying, uh, you know, oh, it's nothing, this is nothing compared to the good old days. I wish you could have been here in the good old days. And, beloved, that is a, that is a source of such discouragement to the younger folks. You know, you think about it. We've had, a, we've had some glorious meetings here. Annual meetings have been wonderful. In the future, you know, maybe the attendance is down. Maybe we don't have as big. You know, it will be so discouraging if someone came up and said, you think this was a great meeting. Oh, you should have been here 25 years ago. Beloved, we're not supposed to live in the past. Now, it's okay to look to the past. I've used this example so many times. Go to the first, uh, 17th chapter of 1 Samuel sometime and look at, uh, look at the, uh, uh, the battle between David and Goliath. David slew Goliath, and he, you know, he cut his head off, and he sent his sword one place and sent his head one place. And his, but he took his armor, and he put his armor in his tent. And, and, and I believe there's a reason he did that. David kept that armor there, and I don't know how long he kept it there. But on days when he was down and out, days when he was discouraged, he could, you know, he could feel like, well, maybe, you know, the Lord doesn't, it doesn't feel like the Lord's with me right now. I'm not, I'm not having the success I've had in the past. But he could turn and look at that armor and say, you know what, I may not feel to be so successful now, but there was a day when the Lord was with me. There was a day when the Lord blessed me. You know, I do that about our church. I think about the times right as we began when uh, uh, right after, I guess it was right after I was ordained when, when we had seven people baptized and we had six or seven more people join and we had two or three join. And those were glorious days. I think about those times. Sometimes when, when I'm sitting around and maybe moping a little bit or maybe a little down and out, I think about that and it lifts me up. I think about the time that Sister Lee nearly did a cannonball into the baptistry because she wanted to be baptized so bad. I mean, it's glorious, you know. I think about those kinds of days, and they're exciting to me, but I don't live in the past. We can't sit down and say, oh, well, we've had some success, and now it's over with, and it'll never be the same again. 
It won't be the same again. In fact, over in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, I just want to turn and read this to you. Uh, there's a, there's, God knew that this would be a temptation for us to go living in the past. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 10, I want you to listen to this. Listen to what he says. Say not thou what is the cause that the former days were better than these, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Here's the point. The kingdom of God is not a past kingdom. It's a present kingdom. It's a future kingdom. It's something that is, it's something that is growing. You know that song we sing, uh, shout on, pray on, we're gaining ground. That's a, we need to look at it that way. The church of the living God will not perish. Now, I realize that individual churches may die, but the Lord has promised us if we'll be faithful and we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, looking to promote his kingdom and we'll be doing the things that he says that we should do, that he will bless us. It may not be a continual blessing. We may not have 3,000 people ba uh, baptized on, the, on one day, but the Lord has promised to bless us and oh, has he not blessed us here? Has he not blessed us? Praise God. And we can look to that for encouragement, but we should not let the past discourage us. So he says in verse 3, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it? There's nothing. He acknowledges that we have that temptation, but then, then he goes on to give them a message of encouragement in the next few verses. And essentially what this message says is look upward. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and, wor and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. In other words, he says, listen, the first thing you need to know when you're discouraged is that I am with you i am with you beloved one person with god is a majority he reminds them as well that their position wasn't just by chance he said in verse 5 according to the word that i covenanted with you when you came out of egypt so my spirit remaineth among you feared you not did you know our god is a covenant keeping god that's one reason that i'm so thankful for the covenant of grace He's not going to let, the covenant of grace is not an open-ended covenant. There's no loose ends. There's no strings that need to be trimmed. The covenant of grace is something that he looks to in the time, and he tells us to look to when we're, in, when we're discouraged. That's what, he's, that's what Romans 8, 28 is all about. You remember Romans 7, he's talking about all the curse of sin inside him. And then Romans 8, he's talk, Paul's talking about all the curse of sin around him. And he's building up to a crescendo. And unlike what the world thinks, the world thinks, well, that means God's playing with sin and he's manipulating sin and he's, he's causing it all to work together. Listen, sin ain't working for you, okay? Sin's working against you, whether it's the sin that's within you or the curse of sin that's around you. When you, when you, get, when you get on the road and a drunk driver hits you head on because he's going the wrong way, that's not working for your good. But you know what is working for your good? Verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, 
he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. Why does God point us to that in the midst of this discussion of, of the sin curse that's all over around us and within us? It's because God is a covenant-keeping God. And he's reminding us of the covenant of grace that no matter what afflicts us in this world, no matter what's against us in the world, God is for us. All things, all these things that he's talking about here work for your good, beloved. He's made it certain that we will be with him. I am with you. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jeremiah said, he's loved us with an everlasting love. I am with you. Then you look at what he said in verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory. Notice what he's saying here. He's saying, I am with you, and I have all power. You know, it's one thing, I'll be with you. Me personally, Chris McCool, if you need me, I'll be with you if I can, if I don't get hindered by something, if I don't get sick, if I don't forget, if I don't change my mind, you know, I'll be with you. And it's a good thing to be there for each other, but it's another, it's another thing altogether for God to say, I'll be with you because there's nothing that can hinder him. He has all power in heaven and earth. He, he is, he was going to be with us no matter what. He said, I'll shake the heavens if I have to in order to be there with you. He even moves nations for his children. I mean, that's what he's doing here. They've been in captivity in Babylon, and God took down the Babylonians and raised up the Persians in order to get his children back home. That's a God that I can trust. That's a God that I can rely on. That's a God when he says, hey, I'm with you, that ought to encourage me, you see. And notice that he says in verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, I'm going to be with you and I have all power and I own all things. <laughs> you can go over to Psalms, the 50th chapter sometime and read about him owning the cattle on a thousand hills. By the way, that's not a thousand and then it stops. That word, that term 1,000 hills is representative of all the hills in the entire world. He said, I own it all. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, we're told in Psalm 24. Psalm 89 says, the heavens are thine. The earth is thine. And notice the most important thing here, and this is what I wanted to get to, and this is where I want to leave you tonight. He said in verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. If you back up just a little bit to verse 7, he says, I'll shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. What, what's he talking about here? You remember the, those ancient men, they said, oh, the glory of this house is nothing like the glory of the first house. God is going to send glory into this house that those ancient men could not have even dreamed of. You know why? 
You can just turn over sometime to the first chapter of Luke and you can read about it. Eight days after the Lord Jesus Christ was born in a, in a stable in Bethlehem, his mom and daddy carried him into that temple. And old Simeon was standing there. He'd been told to be looking. Simeon was an ancient man. Anna was an elderly widow. And they were both looking. What were they looking for? They were looking for the glory of God. And here we find that in this little temple that was dinky and small compared to that temple of Solomon, the most glorious thing ever in the history of the world happened. The Lord Jesus Christ graced this temple with his presence. That's what he's talking about here. The glory of this latter house shall be, uh, shall be greater than the former because the Lord Jesus Christ will come into this temple. The Lord Jesus Christ who is born of a virgin who has become very man while yet being very God. He is coming into this temple one day. He's going to be there. He's going to walk in the temple. He's going to teach in the temple. He's going to be there in the temple he was brought in as a baby he will walk there as a man and he said in this place will i give peace shalom peace you know what you know what the prophecy of jacob was <laughs> the prophecy of jacob back in genesis chapter 49 was that the scepter shall not depart from judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until shiloh come the word shiloh is the very embodiment of that word shalom it comes from the same word and it means the peacemaker the one who will bring peace, the one who will bring peace between the consuming fire of the wrath of God and the consuming fire of the love of God. It will meet together on the cross of Calvary. The glory of this latter house, the desire of all nations, not the desire of every single person in all nations, but the desire of his people in every nation, kindred, tongue, and tribe will come into this temple. I love that. Now, I know we don't have a temple now. We don't have a physical place. Now, this is a physical building, and I'm thankful for it. But this building is not the holy temple of God. Today, the holy temple of God is the body of Christ, the church of the living God. But you know what Jesus said? And, you know, I know, I, I realize this, is, this building is nothing compared to the cathedrals of the world. This building is nothing compared, has nothing to offer compared to the things that the world, the denominational world has to offer except this. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. And you know what that tells me? The glory of this house that we're in right now, this place where we gather together is greater than the glory of all the temples of the world put together because the Lord Jesus Christ is here. It's the same promise. It's a different time. We're, we're on this side of the cross. We know It's even more glorious today because we know more than they did. In Zerubbabel's day, Zerubbabel was supposed to be the king. He was supposed to be the king of Israel, but because of the circumstances, he was just a lowly governor of a province where he had a pagan ruler hanging over his head. Oh, but Zerubbabel, take heart. Haggai said, the glory of the house you're building will be greater than the glory of the temples of Solomon because the Lord Jesus Christ will one day walk in this temple. There's more encouragement coming. He's going to tell them not only to look upward, but to look inward, and then to look forward. But just remember that the glory of the house we're in, beloved, is greater than any temple or cathedral or 
arena that the world has to offer. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.